Green, Green Event Center is next door to Green River Grill, is that right? Nod your head if that's correct. Okay, great. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get this out of the way first. Yes, this is my attempt at growing a beard. <laughs> Weak as it may be, uh, but, you know, at least it matches my sweater, so we've got that going for me. And then um, public service announcement here is that if you're a Netflix subscriber, Godfather 1 and 2 are now on Netflix, okay? So um, you're welcome. And I've been kind of working my way through Godfather Part 2, and there's this really fabulous scene, really tender scene in the movie that uh, a meeting, a little, a little coffee time between two brothers. Michael, who is now kind of running the family, he's the Don, and his older brother, Fredo, who's really kind of always been the black sheep of the family. And Fredo is, is, is really kind of opening up and he's saying, you know, sometimes I wish that I had uh, married a wife like, like yours, like Kay, and I wish that I had settled down, and I wish that I had had kids and had a family. And then he says this, he says, and then for once in my life, maybe been a little bit more like pop, like his dad. He's lamenting not feeling as much like his father, because he wants to imitate his father. He wants to imitate the man who's the most influential in his life. You're going to hear the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 5 really call us to that same thing, to imitating our Heavenly Father. So we open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 21. It's also printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Hi, God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul, even when he says words that are hard for us. We ask, Lord, that we would be conformed to your word this morning. 
that we would be those who come and put ourselves before your word. That you would be the one with the red pen in your hand saying, I don't like this. Take this out. For Lord, we know that when you do so, you do it lovingly. You do it carefully. You do it with the skill of a surgeon and the love of a father. So Lord, we pray even that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth this morning would be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you all remember, there was kind of a, a Christian fad maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, remember the bracelets that said WWJD? Anybody remember those? Maybe you had uh, a bracelet or two, WWJD. It stood for, What Would Jesus Do? And I think the goal was, whenever you came kind of to a decision in your life, you could kind of look at that bracelet and think, Well, what would Jesus do in this time? What would Jesus do? And therefore, I should do that thing that Jesus would do. Uh, that campaign took on some criticism, I think kind of some rightful criticism, because it could lend itself toward legalism, it could lend itself toward moralism. If all we're concerned about is what would Jesus do, then it could open the door for us to say, well, if I just do what Jesus would do, then God will love me and accept me. Of course, I can't do what Jesus would do all of the time, right? It was better probably to have said, what did Jesus do? And that is the thing that would motivate us. However, once we understand what Jesus has done for us, once we have the foundation for what God has done in Christ, once we have the first three chapters of Ephesians that we've been looking at, all of those uh, indicatives that our foundation is built on, then you know what? It's actually not a bad question to ask, what would Jesus do? What does it look like for me to imitate my Savior? What does it look like for my life to come in, to be conformed more and more to looking like his life? That's really the main point of this passage this morning. Paul says, be imitators of God. Go about imitating the one who has saved you. We're going to talk just about that this morning, about the concept of imitating God and looking at what the, the components really of imitating God are, what those things, what it, what it means that Paul lays out here in this passage that are the aspects of imitating God that we're supposed to see in our lives. And then we're going to talk about the problem with that, why that's difficult for us, and then we'll look at the key to imitating God, okay? So the components of imitating God, the problem or the difficulty with it, and the key to imitating God. Let's first look at those kind of components, the elements of imitating God. Well, one of the first things that we see in this, uh, in this passage, you'll have to kind of skip toward the end, is that we are supposed to imitate God's wisdom. We are meant to be wise as God is wise. Listen to verses 10 through 15 again. Uh, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it comes visible. Skip then to verse 15, actually. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So what Paul says here is that in order to pursue wisdom in the way that God is wise, in order to imitate God in His wisdom, what we are supposed to do, really this is the definition of wisdom that He gives us in this passage. It's seeking to discern what God's will is, and then applying that to the time that we've been given. Seeking to discern what is pleasing to God, and applying that to the days that we have been given. 
right? So if my days are spent looking over contracts for either myself or for a client of mine and making sure everything is in order and making sure that I get the best deal possible for my client, if that's how my days are spent, then as a Christian, my question is, how am I to go about doing those things in a way that pleases the Lord, that pursues His will for the world around me and for me? How am I to go about taking the time that he's given me and using it for his purposes and his glory and the building of his kingdom and the benefit of my neighbor? If my days are spent changing diapers and running carpool, then I'm asking, how does that time that God has given me, how do I use that in ways that please him, that are according to his will, that glorify him, that build his kingdom, and that are work for the benefit of my neighbor? If my time is spent caring for an elderly uh, spouse or an elderly parent, then I'm asking the same question. What does it look like for me to actually take the days that God has given me and use them for His glory? Now, we've talked about this concept actually before, even in Ephesians, and we've used the word stewardship to describe it. Stewardship, the, the taking of the things that God has given us, the gifts that he's given us, the place that he's put us, the time that he has given us to use them, and to then use them for his glory and the benefit of those around us. That is wisdom and stewardship, and that is the way that we are called to imitate God. Now, if you'll see, he goes through a flip side of this, too, and we're going to talk about this in imitation. There's kind of a backside to this coin as well. He calls us to wisdom and away from foolishness. Listen to verse 15 again, uh, or 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I was having coffee with a friend the other day, and uh, I'd invited him to something that our community group was doing. We were having a little party, and I said, it's going to be fun. Come, we're going to hang out. We're going to have some food. We'll have beer and wine. We're just going to enjoy each other. And he kind of gave me one of these, like a, hmm, beer and wine, huh? Right? And uh, I responded, of course, like I normally do, with something like, uh, hey, we're Presbyterians, right? We can do this kind of thing like it's legal for us. <laughs> And, you know, the truth is that our stripe of Christians has has really historically been pretty good at keeping away from a legalistic approach to food and alcohol and that sort of thing. We've been pretty good at being able to say Christians have the freedom to engage the good gifts that God has given us. We're pretty good at that. We're also pretty good at skipping over verses like this one that I just read. In fact, I think oftentimes our particular stripe of Christian, uh, you, you might think that we don't know how to have fun if there's not alcohol present. We are oftentimes those who have been really good at kind of proclaiming our freedom and not so good at proclaiming the limits that God has put on that freedom. Not so good at being hemmed in to what God has said. Friends, it's just really plain in the text here that an overuse or overdependence upon alcohol in your life is what Paul calls here debauchery, really just completely reckless living, and it is foolishness. And let me just say that overdependence is not always drunkenness, okay? You don't have to always be drunk to overly depend on alcohol in your life. But whether it's drunkenness or whether it's a heavy dependence on it, what God says here is that it's foolishness, and he calls us away from that. That is not imitating God. That is actually imitating the world around us. All right, here's a second little piece, a component of what it looks like to imitate God. He's called us from darkness and into light. 
from and out of the darkness into light. Look at verse 8. We're kind of going backwards in this, um, in this passage, by the way. Verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, he goes on to actually quote then Isaiah saying, Awake, O sleeper, right? Come out into the light. Look at what he says after that. Um, uh, for anything that is, excuse me, I'm sorry, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Okay, Jesus has talked actually about this as well in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says this, he says, here's the truth, okay, here's the truth, is that the light has come into the world, but people actually like the darkness better. They like the darkness better because their deeds are evil and they don't want them to be exposed. So usually when we hear light, we're thinking, oh, it's great. You know, we want rooms that are filled with light, like this room, which is great. We want houses that are light and airy. We love light. We want to talk about it in positive terms. But one of the things that the Bible says that light does that's a little scary for us is it exposes. It exposes who we are. It exposes the darkness. In fact, if Isaiah is calling us to awake, O oh sleeper, awake, i got to tell you, sometimes it's a lot easier to just be asleep. It is much easier to stay in the darkness and to stay asleep because then we don't have to do a whole lot about it. Jim Gaffigan has this great little bit uh, where he says, you know, in our family, we have an open door policy. Maybe you've heard this. He said the open door policy is anytime during the night, if one of our kids would like to, they can come into our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> and it's great, though, kind of what he follows that with. He says, you know, um, he says, you know, of course, it's just wonderful, you know, having a child come and urinate in your own bed. He said, but really my first respect, reflex is to just kind of roll over and pretend that it didn't happen. And then maybe if I wait long enough, my wife will get up and she'll deal with it. That's kind of the way that I feel sometimes. Like, if I just kind of keep my eyes closed enough to the world around me, maybe I won't have to really deal with it. I would rather not know where my clothing came from and who made it. That's the truth. I would rather not know the lives of the chickens that I eat. I would rather not know those things. I would rather not know the elderly widow that lives in my neighborhood. Because, you know, knowing those things means that I'm responsible now and I have to do something with them. When the light shines in and it wakes us up, man, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's a pain to actually walk into the light. But that's actually what God has called us to, in imitating Him, to actually come in and be exposed. To be exposed by the beautiful but difficult light of the gospel. Here's a third thing, and again, we're kind of tracking backwards in this passage. Paul says that we are to imitate God's love, and that we are called away from lust and greed. That we are to imitate the way that God loves and that we are called away from lust and greed, which is the way that oftentimes we love. Now just listen again to the first couple of verses. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I was listening to a preacher the other day, and he had described the love of God as this. He said, it's loving another person regardless of condition or response. That really is the way that he defined God's love. I think it's a good way for us to think about it. God loves another person. God loves the object of his love regardless of that person's condition and regardless of that person's response. 
This is the beauty of the gospel, right? Is that God loved us not because of our action, but in spite of it. God does not love if. He loves even though. He loves us not because of what we have done to qualify ourselves for that love, but He loves us in spite of our qualifications. And He also loves us in spite of our response. When I don't feel very loved, God still loves me. When I don't feel like loving God back, God still loves me. When I don't feel like a child and I'm acting a lot more like an orphan, God still loves me as His child. His love is not conditioned on my, uh, on my response to that love. And He calls us to imitate the same thing. That our love for one another would actually look like His love for us. That we would love other people regardless of the conditionality for it. Regardless of whether they are lovable or lovely regardless of whether they have done something to kind of earn our love, and regardless of the response they give us, even if they don't love us back. That is the way that we are called, actually, to love others. But that is not the way of the culture that we live in. In fact, the way of the culture that we live in is that we get whatever we can so that it makes us feel good. We would call those two things lust and greed. And they are two of the things that, they are two of the biggest things that Paul addresses here in this passage because they were also two of the biggest things uh, in Ephesus in the first century. And guess what? They're two of the biggest things in the brothels in the 21st century. The idea of sexuality and greed, especially when put together, is really at an enormous scale in our culture. If you spend any time looking, uh, <laughs> opening your eyes and looking at the world around you, whether that's television or billboards or magazines or online or whatever it is, you will see those two things highlighted most. You will see sexuality and you will see money. You will see lust and greed put together. And Paul actually has some of the strongest words that he can use here to say, not only are you to flee from it as an action, but you are to not even have anything to do with it. It is supposed to not be in your actions or in your thoughts or in the words that we use. And he likens them both even to idolatry, to running to other gods outside of who God is. That is the world we live in, friends. We, we live in a world where those two things are together. I read an article the other day um, about Hugh Hefner. It was talking about, you know, one of the business geniuses of Hugh, Hef- of Hugh Hefner was not the fact that he put half-dressed women in magazines. It was the pa- fact that he put them next to articles and advertisements about really high-quality commodities. And the author said it was amazing. He had simultaneously commoditized sex and sexualized commodities. Those two things married together, which is a pretty good description of the culture that we live in right now. That is something that God calls us away from. In fact, it, it is hard for me to read these words. It should be hard to listen to these words, but I'm just going to read them again. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I wouldn't preach on that if it weren't in the Bible, okay? Because it's a lot, it's way too hard to handle. But that is what God's word says. So if we are those who are called to imitate God, imitate His wisdom, imitate His love, imitate Him in the way that He acts to others, imitate Him in the way that He has called us into the light, why is that so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us to do that? 
Well, of course, the, the really easy answer is because we're sinful people, right? We're broken. There's something about our hearts that wants to run away from God rather than to Him all the time. Even when God has changed our hearts, even those whom He has taken as His own, we still desire very oftentimes the wrong thing. That's who we are. That's the simple, it's the simple answer. But it's honestly, it's too simple. We need to go further than that. Because I think we do need to take a good hard look at the culture around us. Because we live in a place and time where we are oftentimes asked to imitate exactly the opposite of what God's word calls us to imitate. We are called in our lives around us to worship so many other things. And I'm using language very specifically that may sound odd to you. Is that when we engage in the culture around us, we are taking part in some religious activities that are shaping our hearts. There's an author named James K.A. Smith. Which is too many middle names, I know. Um, But he's a really great writer. He's written this book called You Are What You Love. I would highly recommend it to you. And he, he has this concept that he calls cultural liturgies. Liturgy is what we do when we gather for church. It's just kind of the regular activity of our church service. It's the things, kind of the structure and the backbone of our worship service. But listen to the way that he defines liturgy. He said, liturgies are rituals of ultimate concern that are formative for our identity. They both reflect what matters to us and they shape what matters to us. They inculcate particular versions of the good life in our hearts. They reflect what matters to us and they shape what matters to us. I hope you hear some similarities to the way that we oftentimes talk about worship. That we want our worship to be both uh, expressive and formative. That when we get together and we participate in worship, that there is something that it actually does to our hearts. But what Smith says is that when we go through the regular activities of our life, the same sort of thing happens. There are liturgically formative aspects of the things that we do every day that are shaping our hearts. One example he gives is going to the mall. And I know going to the mall is a little bit out of fashion, so if you want to just, imp- you know, just, just put in place of that uh, browsing Amazon, it's actually exactly the same thing. Okay? Because what going to the mall or shopping online, what it does to us is it actually that we participate in an activity that reveals what the problem in our life is and what the answer is. Big things. The problem of being human and the answer for being human. And he says, as you walk into a mall, you know, you walk in this place with these big doors and these high, you know, ceilings. It's almost cathedral-like. Even just the very physical nature of it feels almost like church. And you're greeted by these wonderful greeters, right, at all of the doors. And you're there with a lot of other people who are taking, play, taking part in that same ritual with you. But more than that, just think about, think about the deep things that shopping communicates to us. Here's the first thing it communicates, is that I am broken and need fixing. Okay, when I, when I watch TV and I, and I see the advertisements, or I see a billboard as I'm driving down the road, or as I walk through the mall and I see these really perfect, fake people in all of the windows, what's happening? I'm, giving a, I'm, I'm getting a vision of what the good life is, right? These people are all really happy. Everything seems to be going just fine in their lives. Everything is good with them. There's no anxiety. They're super relaxed. They're all beautiful. They're all happy. Life is so good with all of the people that I see in the world, at least on commercials. And I'm not. I'm not happy all the time. My life is hard. 
I deal with anxiety. I deal with difficulty. I gotta get up and make breakfast for kids. I gotta go to work. I've gotta actually do things. I have to mow the lawn. That stuff's not fun. These people are happy, and I'm not. What is wrong? Well, I must be broken, and they must have something then that I need. We're coming to the second piece then, the really important piece, which is not only am I broken, but redemption comes through shopping. The way that I find my fullness, the way that I get fixed, is that I consume. And I do so with others. There's this kind of therapeutic activity, you know, that I go and I'm, I'm kind of taking part in group therapy, right, at the mall with other people. We're kind of being able to, to let our guard down. But more than that, there's something that I get to do for my pear-shaped figure or my pimply face or my old clunkier car, right? Is that if I get a new phone or I get a new pair of shoes or I get a new wife or at least a new fling or if I get a new house or a new ranch or whatever it is, then I'll be okay. I won't be broken anymore. That's the answer. That's the good life that I'm being called to. Do you see the religious, formative aspect of what it looks like even just to go shopping? The truth is we participate in liturgies every day that shape us. And they are not very oftentimes shaping us to be more like Christ. They are shaping us to be more like highly sexualized consumers in our culture right now. So what's the key? How, how, how do we actually lay ourselves down to be imitators of God? Well, I want you to look at verse 1 again. In fact, if you've got a Bible, this is going to be helpful. You can look at the verse right before that. It's not printed in your bulletin, but listen as I read it. At the end of chapter 4, this is what he says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and this is the important part, as God in Christ forgave you. And in verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And listen to this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We have a sandwich going on in verse 1, right? We start with the forgiveness of Christ. We talk about the imitation of God. And then we move on again to talk once more about the forgiveness of Christ and about him giving himself up for us. So this idea of being like God is actually sandwiched in between the sacrificial forgiveness that Christ has already done for us. So remember, again, we are building all of our imperatives on the indicatives of the Bible. And Paul has given us a wonderful little clue here is that he's just sandwiched his imperative with a couple of indicatives. Jesus forgave you. Jesus has laid down his life for you. And look what's even in the middle of the sandwich. Tied up in that imitation is this. Walk in love, or excuse me, be imitators of God as what? Beloved children. Be imitators of God as those who have already been made his children. Not be imitators of God so that he might make you his children. Not be imitators of God so that he might think about adding you to the list of children that he might have at some point. But be imitators of God because he has already made you his children. Jesus has forgiven you. He's made you his child. He has laid down his life for you. Now, what does it look like to come and to act like your father? And here's the challenge that he leaves us with is that if we are going to imitate the God who has made us his child, then we've got to just get to know our Father, don't we? As children who are already children again, we simply need to get to know our dad better. And he's not hidden himself from us. 
He's not kind of hidden himself somewhere far off that we've got to take some long journey to find him. We don't have to face toward Mecca. We don't have to go on some sort of long kind of journey to be close to God. He has revealed himself to us. And friends, he's done so primarily right here. He has told us, if you want to know me and therefore imitate me, get to know my word. Come and be a part of worship. Get to know my people. Get to know me in prayer. Let me just leave you with a challenge. What would it be like this coming week for you to open up and read God's Word on your own or with your spouse or with your family three times this week? To just spend like 30 minutes getting to know God's Word. Read the first three chapters uh, of, of Ephesians. Spend all of it in Ephesians. That'd be great. Or you can read through the Psalms. Or you can read through the book of Mark. Those are three options for you. But just get to know who the Lord is. Some of you already do this. You do it more than three times. And my encouragement to you is to continue. If you don't, though, let this be a challenge for you. Open up God's Word and get to know Him. We will not be able to imitate Him unless we know Him, know His character, and know what He has done for us. Friends, if you belong to Jesus, He has made you His child. He has forgiven you of your sins. He has laid Himself down for you. He has called us to come to get to know Him so that we may be made more like Him. Let's do that this morning. We pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, um, again, this, this deep challenge that only comes as well with this deep encouragement that you have given us your Son, that you have made us your children, that you have laid yourself down for us and sacrificed for us in ways that we could not do on our own. Lord, it is remarkable. And so, Lord, I, I pray for us this morning that it be something not only that we just kind of hold in our heads, that we proclaim with our mouths, but actually something that changes our lives. That actually this forgiveness that we have in you, the sonship that we have in you, would be something, Lord, that makes us want to imitate you, that makes us want to be like you, even little by little. So, Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help, that you would be working in our hearts, that we would look more like Jesus tomorrow than we do today, even if it's just baby steps. You've promised that you'll do that. We thank you for that. We ask that you be at work in us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.